When I was a kid, I used to look forward to the paper coming to the house because I loved reading the uh, funny pages. Remember those? Hate of the Horrible, Peanuts, all those bits of wisdom. Well, on the other side of the paper, there was, there was two columns written by women that, quite frankly, scared my young self to death. One of them was Ann Landers. The other was Miss Manners. What I remember about Miss Manners, one of the things that she was so big on was writing personal invitations and personal thank yous. Remember? Today we're going to talk about the power of a personal invitation. There's tremendous power in a personal invitation. Think back to when's the last time you actually got an invitation written on a card or a piece of paper specifically addressed to you with a handwritten something or another on it asking you to take time out of your schedule to go to an event that the sender was hosting. You probably went, didn't you? Now, it's nice to get an invitation by Facebook or by email or by bulk mail or whatever it is, but when someone takes time to give you a personal invitation, that means they care about you being there, doesn't it? It's kind of like the personal thank yous just got something to it. Turns out that the Bible is a book full of personal invitations from God to you. Today we're going to talk about those. And I want you to think about the tremendous power of a personal invitation in your life and what it means to you. How someone who you trust and care about that takes the time to invite you personally to something is probably enough to get you to think twice about your schedule and to clear out some time and to go. This book I've got, some of you brought them with you today. We encourage that, by the way. It's the Bible. What the Bible really is, is a large, very personal invitation to you from the Creator of the universe. It holds an invitation that very literally carries with it life. Your life. Eternal life. Your eternal life. It holds within it the invitation to words that bring you life because it points you to your purpose for being here on earth. The Bible is a personal invitation from God to you. In fact, the invitation is so strong that there's parts of the world that governments ban this book from even being allowed in the country. There are states in our country that are having a real problem with the Bible these days. In fact, the Bible is so powerful that right now, here today, in our world, there are people who are being killed and who willingly die so that the invitation from God to His people can be seen, read, understood, and accepted. For 2,000 years, people have given up their lives because of the invitation from God to you that's in the Bible. If you've got one, Please don't treat it lightly. Don't take it lightly and don't dismiss it. Because what is in there is an invitation very literally to life. So this morning we're going to talk about invitations and the power of a personal invitation. So what's the invitation? What what, what is the invitation that God makes? In, In very general terms, God invites us through Jesus to come and see. It's a phrase that we've used here for eight years. Come and see. It isn't come and see us. 
Come and see who Jesus is because we're going to tell you about Him. Come and see what it is to be a Christian because we're going to try to help show you what that means. Come and see. Jesus gives us some invitations. I want to look at them for you note-takers this morning. Invitations to come and see and to meet Him for himself, ourselves. The first invitation is very simply to come and see and meet Jesus ourselves. It's really what we do at church. Is we have an interaction, a personal interaction to with the God of the Bible, with Jesus, His Son. Matthew 9.9 records this. As Jesus passed on from there, this is the very first part of His ministry. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And He said to him, follow me. And He rose and followed Him. Got to understand, Jesus is just getting started with His ministry. He's just beginning to gather the twelve disciples. This Matthew guy, he's about the most unlikely character ever to be an apostle or disciple that anybody could imagine. He's just the wrong kind of man. He's a tax collector. Everybody hated him. His job was to tell you how much you owed the government, but what he would do, and it was all right with him because he had the power of the Roman army behind him, is he'd give you an inflated amount and then he'd keep the rest for himself. He was rich and he was hated. No doubt Matthew had a nice home full of nice things and a pretty comfortable life other than the fact that people couldn't stand him. He was a ridiculous choice for a disciple. He was about everything that we think would be wrong. And yet Jesus goes to Matthew at Matthew's place of work and he simply says these two words. He says, follow me. The Bible says Matthew got up followed Jesus, decided to take the invitation to come and see for himself, and he did. And you know what? Matthew's life was changed forever. He was the first of those 12 men to take Jesus on his invitation. So Jesus says to come and see, and whether we meet him at church or whether we meet him on our own in the Bible or we meet him with a friend who introduces us, the invitations don't end there in Scripture. The next invitation that God makes is an invitation to rest Because the bottom line is, God knows that for 2,000 years we have made our lives busy. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The fact of the matter is, we don't make our life easy, do we? We fill our lives so full of stuff that even when it comes time to do the things that we really want to do, we're too busy to do it. When Jesus said that, I don't think that we entirely appreciate those words the way the people that He first spoke them to did. See, in most religions of the world, it's what you do that matters. It's about how it is that you give your life to serve the religion that determines your future. See, a lot of religions in the world today still place the highest priority on what you do in giving your life for the leader. Christianity alone, it's the one religion in the history of the world. Jesus is the only king that said, I'm going to give my life for you before He ever asked anything back from us. He's the only religious figure in the history of the world who gave His life for His people even the people who didn't believe in Him. Not only that, but when we pledge our lives to serve Jesus, we talk about submitting our lives to Him. When we do that, 
Even then, it isn't a matter of what we do for Him because what Jesus talks about is not what we do for Him, but what it is that He'll do for us. And in this invitation throughout the New Testament, is all the things that Jesus will do for you when you choose to follow Him. And He begins with what He's already done. He gave His life. So we understand that to follow Jesus, to become a Christian, when you give your life to Him, it doesn't mean your life is suddenly going to get easier. It doesn't mean all the problems go away. It doesn't mean every situation that you find yourself in is solved. It doesn't mean that from that day forward your life becomes a piece of cake because you know that it doesn't. Our lives might not get easier in the sense that the world might want to point out, but you know what? Our hearts are lightened and we realize that that burden that we have to carry, we don't carry alone. And we don't have to carry the burden of worrying about trying to prove our loyalty to our King. Jesus gave His life for us and then says, I will walk through life with you. See, God cares so much about the stress we put on ourselves and our workload. God is so aware of, of the way that we overbook ourselves and overschedule ourselves that as a way of caring for us, God actually instituted as a part of the Ten Commandments rest. You know that? It's called Sabbath rest. The way that Hebrews talks about it is this, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. <coughs> excuse, excuse me. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The fourth of the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses is that we honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. What's the Sabbath? It's a day of rest from our daily labor, the routine of our week. Time that we set aside for God because God is holy. Time that we take the rest of our life and we put it on pause and we do exactly what you're doing here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm going to gather with other believers and I'm going to make sure that I keep first things first in my life and that's I'm going to keep God in His rightful and proper place. That God is to be worshipped and honored and glorified. Why do we do that? The Bible says because God is holy. Not because we're good, but because God is holy. So for as long as that has been out there, as long as we've talked... Thank you, Patrick. You know, we should really ordain you for being such a thoughtful man. All in favor? Yeah, that didn't go so well, Patrick. We'll talk about it again next week. <clears throat> Thank you. Allergies. Love them. As long as God is talked about there being a Sabbath, there's been a discussion about when that Sabbath should be. There are people who absolutely insist that Saturday is Sabbath day. And for them, they're right. Then there's those people that say Sunday is absolutely the Sabbath day. The problem is when we make the day of the week and when it's supposed to happen more important than the intent, which is that we set aside time as holy time, because God is holy, what we're doing is we're creating rules that God didn't want any part of. God wants us to set time aside to recognize and to pause from our labors to realize and to let Him know that we understand that He's holy. That's why we've launched a Wednesday service. For most folks, Wednesday isn't the Sabbath day, but for a lot of you, your lives are such 
that you just can't make it to church on a Sunday, whether it's work, whether it's uh, sports with your kids, whether it's family commitments, whatever it is, it just doesn't work that you get to have that time. So we're setting aside time on Wednesday night so that you can come and gather and worship and put God in His rightful place, and that's as your first priority. That then becomes your Sabbath rest on Wednesday nights. First John says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments aren't burdensome. Remember that verse I just told you about, that His yoke is easy and His burden is light? God didn't give us all that for us to be overwhelmed with rules. See, it's we, you and I, Christians, we're the ones that make being a Christian difficult for others. What we end up doing is what Jesus Himself did not do. We put ourselves in the place of serving as judge and jury, condemning people for what we see as their sin while we overlook our own. Truth is that becoming a Christian should mean that as we grow, we look less and less like our pre-Christian selves and more and more like the Jesus that we read about in the Bible. We grow into the likeness of our Savior. So the Bible includes another invitation. The Bible includes the invitation to know Jesus personally and to become more like Him. What does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean that your life is instantly changed. It means that we begin to grow more and more into the likeness of Him and rather than into what it is that we have made of our life. Mark 1.17 says this, Jesus said to them, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. we got some serious fishermen and women in our church. I know. I see your pictures on Facebook. We don't really think about the idea of going to fish for people, do we? We go fish for fish. When we accept our Jesus' invitation to follow Him, our priorities become His priorities, all the way down to our understanding of fishing. Jesus came into the world to save the world, and the way that He does that is He gathers us unto Himself. And the awesome thing about it, the part that just continues to blow me away and overwhelming is, you know who God uses to help gather people back to Him? You and I. God invites us to be a part of the fishing for people. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. We've got the awesome privilege of the opportunity of joining Jesus in His work to redeem men and women. You don't have to be a great fisherman of, or fisherwoman of men or women. You just have to be a faithful one. You just have to be willing to put Jesus first. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we give our lives to Jesus and we say, I submit myself to Your will for my life, Jesus, and I, I want to follow what You created me for. I want to be who You want me to be, not what I want to be. When we take that step and we submit our lives to Him, He begins in us a transformation that we cannot have without Him. You can make all kinds of decisions to change things about your life, about your appearance, about your work. You can change things about yourself to a degree. What you cannot do is thoroughly transform yourself from the inside out. God alone can do that. The One who created you can do that. There is the passages in the New Testament about a man named Saul who encountered Jesus on a road. And he was immediately transformed. 
Meeting Jesus changed him in that moment. The man that had persecuted the church that had nodded off to the killing of Christians and said, yes, go ahead and do it and smiled about it, suddenly became one of the greatest disciples and evangelists and missionaries the Christian church has ever known. But you know what people say? That's a fairy tale. That isn't real. You don't know that really happened. One story in the Bible of that happening. God doesn't really transform people like that. God doesn't transform anything. I've heard it a thousand times. Maybe you're one of the skeptics. Let me use a little bit more of, a, of an earthy example, if you will. Seen a caterpillar crawling around uh, on the sidewalk or on your house or on your yard furniture or maybe on you in the last couple of weeks? They're all over the place. That caterpillar wasn't born to live its life as a caterpillar, was it? That caterpillar lives for a while as a caterpillar and it goes into a shell and it comes out as a butterfly, right? Looks nothing like its former self. The word that we use in science is it is transformed. Guess the power behind that transformation? It isn't the caterpillar. It's the God who created the caterpillar. Transformation really does happen and whoever you are right now here today, you don't have to live your life as that person. You literally can give yourselves to Jesus and He will begin a transformation in you that makes a transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly look like nothing. Who you can become in Jesus is nothing like what you have made for yourself. See, that's what God does is He transforms human lives. That transformation, it isn't simple because we can't do it on our own. But it's beautiful and it's pure and God makes it simple because it's all about Him. And that's what God does when the old us passes away and the new person in us in Jesus appears. That isn't because we make the decision. It's because we give ourselves to Him who begins to go to work in us. That same Paul I just talked about said this in Romans 12. He said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the transformation begins in our hearts when we say, I'm not going to keep trying to do this my way anymore. Jesus, I submit myself to You. You died for my sins and I realize that I'm a sinner. When we submit our lives to Him, the transformation begins and it continues in our mind. And what happens is that God begins to change the very way that you think. The way that you see other people, the way that you see the world around you. As the old one in us passes away and we become more and more like Jesus, we start to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And we also start to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. And then we realize the transformation really is happening. Finally, God gives us another invitation in the Bible. He gives us an invitation to enter the very real earthly realm of God Himself. John 15 says, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Jesus invites us to live in His truth, in His teaching, and in His will. When we do that, Jesus begins to take residence in us. And I got news for you. You cannot be a Christian outside of a personal relationship with Jesus any more that you can fully live as a Christian outside of a relationship with a local church. We are created to be together 
And Jesus invites us to abide in Him, and He says, I will abide in you, Matthew 14. There's this great passage where the disciples are out and about, and the, the big lake is stormy, and the waves are flying, and they're pretty well convinced they're going to die, and they see something coming across the water. Their first assumption is to take everything they know about the world and assume that it must be a ghost. There's nobody that looks like a person comes walking across the water. And Peter realizes that, that this, this image looks familiar to him. Matthew 14:28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, if it is you, because he isn't sure, command me to come to you on the water. Invite me to join you, Jesus. Because Peter realizes something's going on that isn't normal. Jesus says to him in return, come, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. It's a great passage about Peter's faith and Peter's fear and his doubt. He sees Jesus walking on the water, coming to the boat, and the the disciples are all terrified. But Peter, in some way, is so amazed, so overwhelmed by this act of seeing Jesus walking on the water, he realizes that something is just completely different. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, invite me to join you. And it's only when Peter asked Jesus for the invitation that he was able to step out of the boat and walk on the water. In that moment, something incredible happened. For that moment, and for all I know, Peter's the only person in the history of the world to have done this. In that moment, Peter ceased to be limited by the laws of the world that we lived in. And walking across that lake... He entered the realm of God. Can you imagine? He knew. And we know that He knew because He began to sink. He realized, I can't do this. Truth was, He couldn't. But Jesus could. And for that moment, Peter entered the earthly realm of God. And you know what's so awesome about that is that Jesus invites you to know Him in a personal way. And when He does that, He invites you to enter that very same realm that had Peter walking on the water. So you say, ah, whatever, I don't believe you. Well, we can't do it on our own any more than Peter could. Peter needed an invitation. And the moment he started thinking about what he couldn't do, he failed to do what Jesus allowed him to. See, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit can do all things in and through and with us. The only limits that we have on us are the very same limits that Peter had on him. And that was the limits that he put on himself. The limits that are on you are the limits that you put on yourself. Ephesians 3 says, Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. What is the power that is at work within us as a Christian? The power of the Holy Spirit. Can you do it on your own? No. Can you transform yourself? You cannot. You can lose weight. You can change your hair color. You can do this and that. Little things to change your outward appearance. Can you change who you are at your core? You cannot. But the power of the Holy Spirit at work among you can. So if we believe, let's say we step out and say, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. I believe that you can do all things. I'm even going to believe that you invite me into that with the healthy skepticism that all of us have. Where do we go there? What do we do next? Acts 2, 38 and 39 makes it very clear and very simple. Here it is. Are you ready? 
And Peter said to them, because a bunch of people asked him the same question, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three things. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself, you are a part of who He is talking to. The problem is, is that we want to begin our walk being really simple. We want God to do all of it for us. We don't want to do the one thing that the Bible says we have to begin with. Repent of our sins. No, I want God to do everything for me. I want Him to give me all the good stuff and I want to enjoy it. The Bible says that's not where we begin. The gift of eternal life is free. Then we repent... We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and we're baptized. What does it mean to repent? It means to acknowledge our sins, to admit them, to take ownership of them, and to come to the conscious conscious decision that we're going to continue in that sin no more. Repent means to turn and to walk away. We're not wired to do that. Our world says we don't have to. But God says we do. After that, we step forward in obedience to Jesus' command and we make the public proclamation of the new creation that God has made in us by becoming publicly baptized. The Bible says when we do that, we receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit within us. It is only then, through Him, that we're able to do all of those things that we cannot do by ourselves. So next Sunday, we're going to give you an invitation to step forward in baptism. And so here it is. Are you ready? Here is my personal invitation. If you are ready to become a new person, if you are ready to allow God to go to work on you and in you and through you and receive the Holy Spirit, I invite you to step forward and be baptized next Sunday. Not sure what that means? Well, lucky for you, we've got a class right after this service. Right down here in front as soon as... I get a chance to say good morning to folks. I will come back and we will talk about what that means. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. You say, I don't have to. I don't don't have to be baptized. God did everything right when you were baptized as a child. Don't get me wrong. God does everything He does perfectly. But the Bible also says that we are to repent and to be baptized and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's an order there. If you're at the point where you know you want a different life, if you know that you want Jesus to be real to you, and you want to begin that transformation, then baptism may be your next step. So let's loop all the way back to the beginning. You know how most of us begin this journey as a Christian? It's the same way. If I were to walk through and ask all of you how it is that you ended up here today, I bet you 90% of you have the same answer. If I were to ask you how it is that you came to faith, how did you come to know Jesus the vast majority of you have the same answer. Someone invited me. Someone cared enough about me and who I was to invite me to meet Jesus for myself. Someone invited me to come to your church and to meet Jesus. Someone loved me enough to invite me and not leave me in the life that I was living. Someone invited you. That's how we begin this journey as Christians more often than not. It's when someone loves us enough to give us a personal invitation to church. What they're saying when they do that isn't that you're a bad person. 
what they're doing when they say that is Jesus loves you so much more than you realize. There is so much more to life than what you understand. The Holy Spirit wants so much for you that at this point you've never even heard about. They don't give you a personal invitation because they think you're broken. They give you a personal invitation because they love you. It's a personal invitation to meet Jesus for yourself. Tonight we're starting something we've never done before. It's called Alpha. Alpha, at its very heart, is a simple introduction to the Christian faith. It's an opportunity to meet Jesus for yourself. It doesn't require a whole lot of you other than a willingness to show up. It's a great opportunity to understand who Jesus is and what it is to be a Christian. So whether you feel like that's for you or you feel like it's for somebody else that you know or maybe it's for some you and someone, consider this a personal invitation to join us at Alpha. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. Accept the invitation to come and see Jesus for yourself. Maybe you think you know Him. Maybe you think you're not interested. Maybe you think I've spent my whole life in church. But maybe you don't have any idea what I've been talking about this morning. Come and see. Who knows what God might do for you? Maybe you've got something stirring in you that says, you know, maybe I should be baptized. Maybe I should take that step. My response to you is, who knows what God might have waiting for you? Who knows what the Holy Spirit might have planned for you? Maybe you have seen and heard and you know now's the time to surrender your life to Jesus. In a little bit, we're going to have, uh, invite you to come forward, uh, invite our ushers forward to receive our offering. And from there through the end of the service, we're going to have prayer folks in the front and back corners. You know what? They would love nothing more than to pray with you. Maybe even to give you the words to say, you know what? I, I, I give up, Jesus. I give up trying to do it by myself. I surrender my life to you. I want to know what you have for me. Part of what they do when they stand there is to pray that simple prayer with people. Maybe today is the day that you begin a new life, a, begin the, a day that you are transformed, not because of your hard work, but because you invite Jesus into your heart. But it's more than that. It isn't just inviting Jesus into your heart. It's giving your heart over to Him. It's submitting your life. Telling Him, I believe in you. Forgive me. Accepting Him as your Savior and beginning to live your life as a Christian. If today is your day, don't let it pass. Truth is, we don't get invitations all the time. Sometimes we only get one. Maybe you'll never find yourself back in this place. Don't let the invitation pass. Jesus is inviting you to a personal relationship with Him. Let's pray. God, thank You that You love us so much that You don't let us just simply live our lives where we are. Jesus didn't need to die because we were trying hard. Jesus willingly died for our sins because we are sinners. God, there's not one of us as a Christian who ceases that battle that we have with sin. It is a lifelong condition. But we know that when we give our lives in submission to Jesus' command and when we give ourselves over to Him, we know that You begin a transformation in us that we cannot bring about in ourselves. Some folks this morning are wondering if they need to turn their life over to Jesus. God, for all those that are struggling, I pray that You would fill them 
with your Holy Spirit that they would move from being afraid of that decision to being excited about that decision. Some of us are struggling with things that we need to repent of because we don't want to fess up and be honest about them. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move us to a point that we understand and that we give that over to you. Some of us are struggling with whether or not we should be baptized. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in all of those hearts, that they would step forward and say, Today's the day, now's the time. I'm ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to begin the life that I was created for. God, wherever we are, thank you for loving us so much that you just don't let us be where we are. You love us so much that you came to save and to redeem us and to bring us into the life that you created us for. And all of that is possible only because of Jesus and what He did for us. It's in His name that we pray. Tonight at 5.30 we begin Alpha. Personal invitation to come and see. The table is right over here, right after the service. There's a closer look gathering up on the senior, in the senior high house. Give you an opportunity to know more about who we are as a congregation. Pastor Rich is off on the left side. If you would like to help out with our ministry of caring for each other, I would invite you to be a part of that. When I was uh, younger, there was a Nike commercial that featured Mike, Michael Jordan, and it said, Be Like Mike. Everybody that played basketball wanted to be like Mike. Here's the deal. You don't want to be like Mike. You don't want to be like me. You want to be like Jesus. The invitation that the Bible has that runs throughout its pages is how it is that we can live our lives and every day become a little bit more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The invitation with all that we do, is to know Him in a personal way. Prayer folks are here in the corners if you would like to visit and pray with them.